Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Otter Fishing with me, Trevor Topfer. Hey everybody, welcome to Otter Fishing, the podcast brought to you by Otterfish, which is an amazing little platform that enables you to create and launch smarter Facebook ads. So if you are running Facebook ads, I encourage you to jump on otterfish.com and have a go on their 14-day free trial, run a campaign and see how powerful your Facebook ads could be. Today on the show, uh, I've this this one's been a little while in the mix, a little while in the uh, in the making. Uh, we've been circling our wagons around each other and I've been trying to pin this man down and I finally managed to grab an hour or so of his time and uh, I'm really beyond excited to have him on the show. Uh, a man that needs very little introduction, uh, but for those who have been living under a rock or maybe buried deep in the metaverse somewhere and are coming up for air, uh, today on the show we have Mr. Andy Hamilton, who is a co-founder of Monarchy and involved with a whole bunch of enormous uh, Kiwi businesses and is the self-proclaimed or, or well-recognised champion of small businesses in New Zealand. So, Andy, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you being here. Nice to be here. It's like, and it feels weird. It's April, and it's like my first AMA of the year. Really? What happened, mate? Well, is I don't it, know. Is it, it feels are we getting like older and time slips away quicker, or is it the fact that everything's no. moving so fucking fast now that you come up for air and go, fuck, it's September, you know, we've just finished New Year's. I think my team here are like, go at Manaki, like, oh, happy new year, Andy. Like, you're actually going to be in for the day. But it just feels like that type of year where it's been, you know, isolating or being at home or, you know, traveling. I actually went to Australia last week with the family for the first time in two and a half years. And man, it felt good to be out of Dodge. Right. How weird was it going through airports and waiting lounges and all of that kind of carry on after such a big break, mate? Oh, it's just, it, it was okay, actually. The only weirdness came, which is pretty funny, is that we're sitting in the airport on the way back and I'm listening to this guy talking on his phone really loudly, talking to his parents about how sick they were and he just obviously visited them. And I was oh. like, what a prick, talking about that. And, and he didn't have a mask on. And then guess what happens? I get on the plane, who's sitting right behind me? Oh, no. That same person with no mask. And I've got my beautiful daughters and my wife next to me. And I turned around, smiled. Said, Would you mind putting a mask on, please, mofo? But yeah. no, I thought it was fine. It was just really good to just feel the release of getting out and away from New Zealand. I love New Zealand, but just to be in Australia was awesome. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, you know, being Australian myself, but I mean, I've been here more than 10 years now, so I think I'm probably, uh, you know, able to call myself a Kiwi. Maybe a foot in both camps depends on if it's a Bledisloe Cup or not as to where I, I kind of my loyalties lie. But I'm really anxious to get home. I've got family I haven't seen since before all this shit started. And, uh, you know, so I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm do planning. You, do, you do you have a New Zealand passport or citizenship? I don't. I don't. We get equal rights as citizens, Australians coming here. So all I but you know, is... this is this is super interesting because both my kids and wife are Australian citizens, mm -hmm. and my kids are New Zealand citizens. But my wife actually just got her citizenship for New Zealand today. But right. until today, she was not guaranteed access back into New Zealand. That's interesting. As an you know, under the lockdown, and so that's one of the reasons she didn't go to see her parents. 
Right. I wasn't aware of that. So maybe I should be taking this a little bit more seriously. I was of the opinion that, you know, given, given how easy it is, I mean, literally I ticked the box on the way in saying I'm staying. Uh, and that was as much thought as I kind of put into it. And I thought, well, when my passport expires, then I'll be, you know, forced to make a decision as to whether I renew the Australian one or, or, or grab a Kiwi one. Um, I just never knew a couple of things. It's fine now. You're totally sweet. You can go and come back. But in the lockdown period, there, you know, what we also learned is in the background, every time a New Zealander goes to Australia or an Australian comes to New Zealand, they do an automatic visa is issued in the background. Right. They, so it's pretty crazy. But anyway, that was a, was pretty awesome getting away. We should be talking yeah. about small small no business. Doubt. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm sure our audience is not that fascinated with your trip back to Aussie uh, and my current legal status in this country. Um, although there might be a few people that are listening that are taking notes, but who knows? Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into it, mate. Uh, you and I have, have kind of had a little bit of a brief chat about what we're going to get into today. I know it's going to be uh, – we're going to end up down a rabbit hole uh, we're both pretty passionate and very well into the NFT metaverse space. So before we get into that, uh, I know that you in your network and in your day-to-day have got your finger on the pulse of certainly small business in New Zealand, probably uh, a, a broader ecosystem than just the national one. Mm. I'd love to dive into that a little bit and and start to understand, you know, what are you seeing now? What, what are small businesses... What's the state of the game right now? What should small businesses be thinking about as we do start to return to the good old normal and hope we mm. do return to the good old normal? And what do you think are some of the biggest opportunities that you're seeing right now? Yeah, that's a hard... Um, uh, that's a, I'm just looking at the stream and Glenn Marvin. Yeah, Glenn Marvin, you, bloody mate. cheeky bugger. Then, <laughs> then there's my neighbour, Jenny Fennick, who's the most gorgeous person in the world, is saying I'm nice, which is nice. And then telling yeah, you're getting Ruby the love get... and I'm getting the hate. <laughs> Yeah, so, hey, I, that's a really hard question. But, look, one thing, I kind of, when I've thought about my engagement with small business, what do I see? Uh, personally, I'm an excitable person. So I'm, I'm still excited. But what I see is people who are nervous, watchful, and what I'm asking them to be is to be patient. Um. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I work with some families in Queenstown and Dunedin and COVID is now like going through down there, it's particularly in Dunedin, and it's like 25 to 35% of the workforces are out. Mm. And so the, the patient is we've just got to hunker down and get through as best as you can while the shit's hitting the fan. And it kind of feels like the long, the long flat line mm. where, and I know they're pockets of success, but for most businesses, I think it's just like a struggle and get through, stay hopeful, stay watchful um, and get ready for hopefully a climb up and out. But um, I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing people out there delirious mm. with excitement and making shed loads of money you know, I'm just seeing people who are kind of going, this is kind of, this is, this is a struggle. Yes. Uh, I, you know, I was on a, I was on a webinar recently uh, with some people in the tourism sector 
and that's obviously a, a, one of the sectors that's been hit the hardest by all of this. Mm. And, I, and, and there was a great sense of positivity in that room and it felt to me like, uh, you know, here's a, here's a sector that's been hit so hard that any kind of glimpse that we might be returning back to normal is a light at the end of the tunnel. But for a lot of these businesses that have had a, a really fucking hard two years, right, of, of weathering this shit and dealing with mm. problems they never expected to have, have now got this new one where their staff are out, they can't meet the, uh, the the immediate needs of the business and there's no real relief yet. The borders are opening, but there's no migrants coming through. And, and, and here in New Zealand, we are very, very dependent on those, those sort of seasonal. You know, though, what, what you're reminding me is, we, you know, what we should all be inspired by is those people who have had the struggle. Mm. who've been able to stay in business and then have found hope and energy to go. And that story I tell about the tourism industry, I think is a good one, which is even in adversity, as bad as it is, you have to look for the opportunity. You have to pivot. You have to think, where can I go to get just a little bit further ahead? And so it's interesting. I think that we're duty-bound to go, Let's not plan one, two, three years out. Let's just, you know, let's get one or two percent growth every week and compound that week after week after week and we get there. And I am reminded by the small business owners who have no choice but to go lean in, find the opportunity, um, don't be fixated on losing, just got to find a way to win. And I think that's, if we talk about it a lot, we'll talk ourselves down as opposed to going, there is a way, there is a will, and you just gotta gotta grind it. And I think I think people are, but I think people are uh, so many businesses are watchful that they're going, I'm not gonna celebrate making lots of money. I'm just you know, or I'm just gonna keep pushing and keep, you know, I, I've got this great story where I've got a super friend who makes pizzas, right? Uh, his name is Enos Bakova, and he's a co-owner of Dante's Group in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And they have just gone through grind after grind after grind. And he just said to me, he said, you know, um, I just know I need to stay still and keep improving every day and finding a bit more profit and a bit more profit and being courageous enough to close stores when they've got no staff for COVID. Mm -hmm. Just keep doing it. But And, you know, he had five stores and now he's kind of got three now. But he's just grinding it and going, I'm getting better. This thing came, wasn't my fault. It's here. I have to use it as an opportunity to improve my business uh, so that ultimately I can continue to pay all the stuff. And that's what he's doing. And he's doing amazingly well. Yeah, I think there's an interesting part of this this bit of the conversation here for me is a lot of these businesses have had to strip right back like you're talking about mm. the dante group have, have dropped from five down to three stores they're opening and closing based on availability of staff mm. people have had to pair their businesses right back just to stay in the game right so that they don't go under and unfortunately a lot of people have and you know hats off to to the people who had to make the hard calls and mm. uh, and, and you know put a cap on their dreams for a bit but what I wonder is if this little period where everybody's had to pair back has been an opportunity for business to
to start thinking about creating efficiencies inside their business and start thinking about, well, how do I do it a bit differently as we scale back up? Do I need to go back up to a five-man team? Can I stick with my three-man team and use different, I don't know, technology or different infrastructure or different processes that I've learned over these last year or two uh, to help me scale back up to a level of profitability without having to go back to the same business model? Is that something that you might have been seeing? Well, and we'll talk about this later, right? But because both of us are in this world, the, the Web3 NFT world is super crazy because you have these teams and people working in multiple projects at once. They don't have a full-time job. They're always hustling and trying to create value in different places because you can never can really predict which is going to come off. So you run a portfolio approach. And that's inspired me to think about you know, our own business at Monarchy, uh, but also in other businesses to say, don't go with a control thesis. You don't have to always hire people. Find ways to work with contractors, freelancers, to mutually create value. If something takes off, then go, right, let's actually resource that. But if it doesn't take off, you know, then you're not all on. And so I actually think there is that opportunity um, to think again more creatively I think definitely we all need to look at our markets and go, you know, am I in the right place with the right types of companies, the right types of people? Should I be trialing something else somewhere and, you know, going and doing that? And so I think what the pain has done has forced us to survive. What it needs to now do is empower us to actually search to go into better places. And it's very interesting um, you know, I, I really encourage people to go one plus one equals five. Where could I go and partner with other people to create mutual value? That might even mean merging businesses to create more scale and thinking about okay. that. And you know. I, I actually think it's even more important than that. That might become a, a, a part of the survival because what my fear is in all of this, and I'm just waiting for the kind of hammer to drop with, a lot of businesses that have gone out, there's going to be a hell of a lot less competition in every vertical now because there simply is businesses that didn't survive. My fear is that the bigger players in the game in all of those verticals are going to swoop in and pick up all of that as, as, as that demand picks back up again and as the, the, the level of commerce returns to some resemblance of what it was back in, uh, you know, two years ago. My fear is that there's going to be a lot of this sort of bigger business that's going to go, right, we're Johnny on the spot. There's, you know, our, our competition has dropped by 20, 30%. We're going to pick up all of that business because we're in the right position to do so. On the flip side of that, I think there's a real opportunity for those that have survived or are looking to get back into the game to start thinking about how do I do this differently and pick up that opportunity that's there. Um, so here's an interesting thing, though, right? I don't know whether it's because I'm slightly weird, right? But when you're talking about that, a lot of the markets that I see are quite lonely and echoey what i mean by that is i don't a lot of the companies don't always see their competitors because i think if you see your competitors and you're competing and you're and you're winning and you're losing you're in the battle and you're in the Mm. fight and you and you know you're like wow this is this is like um this is like the red sea as opposed to the blue ocean Mm -hmm. um so for me i can't Kind of, I, I think lots of our markets have room, 
And maybe it's only when you start to do really well that you start to push into other people that you start to go, shit, this is competing. But the other thing I think we should always be thinking about is, and I'm, you know, personally, I really like order and organization, even if I don't, you know, act like that. And in my mind is I'm always going, what is our repeatable formula for marketing, our repeatable formula for conversion, our repeatable formula for engagement. And Mm -hmm. I think um, what I've kind of learned from other people like here at Monarchy, like Rach is you, you will always change the the beginnings of You're never going to get the formula right. If you're thinking about the formula and trying to optimize it, you just keep optimizing, but it's the journey that matters, not the destination. And so thinking about the formula, you know, and I think here's another thing that's really interesting. Again, it sounds a bit selfish, but in Australia, uh, one of the things I did is I re- I took the opportunity to re- you know step away and and try and and do some learning and reading. And I read this book about network effects by a guy called Andrew Chen, uh, and the book's called The Cold Start Problem. And for startups um, and network startups, oh my god, I just love this book. It is the most Andrew Chen, who's ex YouTube, and and he's on, as a partner at Andreas and Horowitz, the cold start pro- problem. It is an incredible book. One of the things it talks about is atomic networks and groups of atomic networks. That's all about in the micro. How do you create need, demand, word of mouth that you can leverage off? And I just loved it. And I, and now we're trying to apply that to ourselves here at Monarchy which is um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if uh, if the last couple of years has taught a lot of businesses that they need to be taking the digital landscape a lot more seriously and the ability to do that micro-networking and the ability to, uh, from home, regardless of time zone, regardless of any other sort of physical restriction, be able to, I don't know, level or double down on the things that are working find new things that are complementary to their existing offering that might be in the in real world in real life but that they can take into that digital realm that keeps revenue coming in that keeps value going to their engaged customers engaged audiences that helps them you know diversify a little bit in terms of how they engage and how they monetize their their uh, their existing customer base rather than going down that same path you know i had this product that worked for me for ages now over the last couple of years i've had to pivot i've had to go and look at what can i do online what can i do that that's not dependent on you know or going to be affected by a lockdown and i wonder if we're going to start seeing some different business models and different engagement models as a result of this i hope so i I mean the other thing i i also hear a lot on the monarchy platform from people saying i know i need to do more marketing and I need to trial new platforms and new engagement and produce more content. But how do I know what's working? Is that a question or is that, is that, is that something? That's what they say to me. They say, I know I should do this stuff, but Mm -hmm. I'm doing it, but how do I know? And, and and, you know, the, the sort of dashboarding stuff of, and the, the testing and trialing, you know, um, I think it's difficult because it goes back to my earlier point. It was, you know, the business is never static, but you just need to keep trialing and testing things. And, you know, I think tools, 
that enable you, for example, to boost your Facebook stuff, which is, you know, what Otterfish has started as, is really mm-hmm. super important because then all of a sudden you've got an, an area where you can start to go, is this working for me or is this not? And yeah. I definitely think all of us need to be way better and way more focused on that test, trial, iterate, learn, you know, model and be more analytical on our on the choices we make around our actions. I think you're right. Um, for me, it's about understanding what are the metrics that are meaningful? I mean, there's yeah. so many data points you can measure. There's so many ways you can interpret anything, really. Um, so th- starting with that is, you know, how are we going to measure success? What does success look like? And you talk to a lot of small businesses and it's like, well, am I making more sales? Am I getting more customers? Well, that's a macro to me. You know, you're talking about pulling micro levers to affect a macro, but what's the measure of success at that micro level? If I run a social ad campaign, how do I know it's performed well? Is it a cost per click? Well, I don't know if that's the right metric. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Depends on what you're trying to achieve, but at least knowing two things. One, what is the metric that's meaningful or metrics that are meaningful? And two, where are we now before we start playing with this? And I think a lot of people forget to do a bit of a baseline check-in and go, you know, we're performing yeah. it at, at this level. Anything above that is is meaningful. Uh, and and the other part of that to me, and, and I talk about this a lot, and, and my listeners are probably getting bored with it, but it's understanding what is, uh, what you know, we talk about ROI and ROAS. A lot of people talk about these sorts of, you know, things. But to me, it's about understanding how much can I afford to spend and how much can I afford you know what's the gap between where i am now what looks like success but what what makes up that gap and how much of it is actual profit or driving us towards a profitable state and how much of it is just vanity metrics that make me feel good but it's actually costing me a fortune it's not shifting the needle so i think there's a this this these two concepts that people need to understand is um, to me it comes back to customer lifetime value not just customer average sale but customer lifetime value if i win a customer what's that mean to my business for the next one, two, five, ten years. And therefore, how much can I afford to spend to acquire that customer? And now I understand what metrics are meaningful and what are the metrics that are going to play into that equation for me that 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 I can that I can monitor and track with this activity that I'm doing so that I've got my four or five little hustles that I'm doing to try and shift the needle and I understand which metrics within those little activities are actually making a difference. Yeah, and you know, again, your words trigger in me some reflections over the last couple of years with different owners is that um, one of the things that they've, you know, that we've challenged people on is why are you in business? Like, What's your per- like? What's your underlying purpose? Are we going Simon Sinek here, mate? Is this where we're headed? No, it's just interesting <laughs> because it's like, why the fuck are you in business? Yeah, like, exactly. What 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 is your what's driving you to do this crazy hours mm-hmm. to work this hard to do all the HR reviews to make the payroll to do all of that, right? And it's you know, could, because by itself having a set of goals is not enough. It's when you start to go, I understand my purpose. I really know why I'm here. Then you start to go, right, let's actualize and then let's set those metrics. And again, one of the things that, you know, I've seen yourself and others do is for a business owner, when you go, right, now I know I need to do more digital, then set some goals with someone who can help you set those goals and then test and iterate. Don't spend Mm. a lot of money to start with. Correct. Mm. Absolutely. 
And then, so because you're not trying to win from day one, you're just trying to learn how these things work and then start to go, right, now we're learning. Now we can spend a bit more. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, at Monarchy, we did this thing called Digital Doers where, you know, we've trained up 123 people in the art and you, you were one of the teachers on that program how to do digital doing with a small budget mm-hmm. and use those people to do some freelance work for you to work out what's working, what's not, and and learn as you go. You know, yeah. learn yourself from their activity. What I find interesting about what you guys are doing over at Monarchy is um, you're almost predicting or helping small business understand that there's actually a fucking labor shortage. There's a skills gap that I don't think a lot of businesses really realize how important having a digital doer in their business can be, uh, mm. you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it's not until somebody comes along and says, Hey, look at this. And you know, if we did a bit more of this and a little bit less of this, we can make these, we can hit these growth goals. And suddenly people start yeah. understanding a little bit more about learning a little bit more about what they don't know. And it's particularly important for people who are, on the wrong side of this digital divide. I know, you know, Pat and I have talked about this a lot. You and I have kind of touched on it a little bit, but I've, I'm very passionate about this because I, I, I firmly believe that a lot of businesses don't realize the game that they're playing anymore. You know, before this podcast went live, we were having a little bit of a conversation about this acceleration. You know, we're on this exponential growth curve now. You yeah. know, we're not on the flat line. We're not even on the curved line. We're on the almost vertical line now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, Every day, almost that that digital divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and I, I really don't think a lot of businesses realise how threatened their old business model is, and how important it is that they they actually start getting and taking this stuff more seriously. And then you guys are you trying to up, scare them, and maybe a little bit. I think they need to be scared a little bit, honestly. Um, you know, when I when I go out and talk to small businesses, and you talk to a hell of a lot more of them than I do. But I always walk away going, fuck, these guys, you know, there's a there's a wrecking ball coming their way and they just can't see it. And the people that, that are riding the wrecking ball and, and, and swinging the crane, the guys that get it, they're on the right side of the digital divide are just, you know, licking their lips going, you know. And as that divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the need for something like a digital doer is so important. And, I, you know, yes, I, I, I understand the why in that you're trying to change people's lives and you're giving people an opportunity to, to upskill and get back in the workforce and, and find a place and you're changing people's lives and taking them from being on an unemployment benefit to a 50K a year job. And that, that impacts much more than just a single person in those environments. Mm. But on the other side, you've got the business owner that suddenly starts realising how far behind they are and, they didn't, and I don't think they, a lot of them... Yeah, really but so look, here's the good news, I think, right? Many of us can't afford a full-time person to do, like, to do our digital. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you get off your ass and go, I know I need someone, and I probably could pay a day a week or a day and a half a week, there must be other business owners like me. Why don't we, and, you know, not in the same industry or not doing mm-hmm. the same thing, why don't we collectively hire someone between us and then we'll learn from each other about, improving our own marketing by getting the digital doer that's working in two or three businesses. Of course, that might need to one business wanting all of the person's time. But if you bring the right approach to it, I think, you know, I think the evil is if you don't do anything. Hmm. So you have to do something, you have to try something, 
you have to realize, like, I don't know how to code, right? And I don't really understand a lot of technical stuff. But that's why we've been able to do so much at Monarchy because of the team that's here that's led by Pat, you know, and Rachel and others that have had an extraordinary capability. And, and I feel very blessed in our capacity that we have. But, God, do we have holes as well? Yeah. So I think the evil is if you sit on your ass and do nothing, then all power and expect to everything to be okay. Yeah, it's not going to be okay. But I also go back to my comment that a lot of our markets are quite echoey, and and I I think we have time and room to be able to improve what we do, and it's sometimes just one step at a time. This is beautiful story. Um, through Monarchy, I met a guy called uh, a couple called Ian and Janet Sturt, who run a bakery out of uh, Whangarei. And actually, they were a cafe that kind of struggled. They then went into being uh, a mobile truck, and that was going really well, food truck. But then mm-hmm. COVID came, and so they were like, eh, that's not so good. So they went back to their home and their kitchen and created a commercial kitchen. And Ian is a great baker. And guess what? They are smoking. Selling B2B incredible sourdough recipes to other cafes and restaurants. And he's just building his business up, you know, week by week. Didn't have a great website because it was for the cafe. Engaged a contractor to put it up onto a Shopify site, new photography. It's going to take a couple of months to do, but he's doing it. He's getting out on the road and visiting. He's got a simple goal to get three to five new restaurants in the Whangarei region. And for shits and giggles, every now and then he rings people in Auckland and says, do you want to buy some sourdough? And he, and he couriers it down at your cost. And I, I just love how he is learning as he's going. Mm-hmm. But I don't, yes, he could be better in certain digital things, but he can't go and spend three, five, eight grand on doing that. He's got to spend a little bit as, as he goes. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea of, of, of sort of, getting your golfing mates together or how, whatever it looks like to you and saying, right, let's, let's hire somebody to do our socials, our digital, to get all this stuff, right. Somebody that can provide these skills that we're missing and then understand a little bit more through that. Well, uh, process. and, and he, here's a good example. One of the people on the, who's, who may still be there on the call. Um, uh, her daughter is just got into business and is incredible. Right. But you know, if I had the chat to, with her, when I saw her next week and she said, oh, I'm so busy, I need to hire someone, I would say, don't. I want you to go through the pain of having to make choices around what work you do. The second thing, I want you to use contractors and freelancers because you don't have a control thesis over them, so you have to develop a relationship with them to enable you to get the productivity and the work done. Keep your flexibility until your income and earnings are repeatable. And then with certainty, you can go, maybe I need to hire someone. But I love the opportunity that comes from working with freelancers, which again goes back to what we've learned from the NFT and the Web3 world, which is it just do stuff together mm. and you learn from that. Totally. Yeah, the idea of building a project around the skill sets that everybody's benefiting from. I think we're seeing all of these new business models coming through with DAOs that are uh, are, are open source almost, and, and, and there's this much greater level of transparency in business. And I think there needs to be 
Mm. you know, I don't think we're in an age anymore where you've got the, you know, the very quiet accounting going on in the background and the, you know, the people who own the business aren't telling the people who are in the business what the fuck's going on and how much money's being made because they're embarrassed to go, fuck, we're making money. Now I think it's more about get everybody involved, get everybody singing from the same songbook and the boat goes faster, right? If everybody's paddling to the same destination and understands why we're going there, then, uh, then we get there quicker. But Trevor, secretly you wanted to be a supermarket owner in New Zealand, didn't you? <laughs> Over the last two years, I fucking did, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, 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 or maybe uh, I think the smartest business is Waitomo at the moment. Those guys are making fucking stupid amounts of money and there's no staff. Uh, I just noticed your neighbour Jenny's dropped a, a, a comment into our into our chat about she bought her first NFT. Mm. And I I really want to dive into this because you've got a great um, melding of of information I think around this topic. So you've got a whole lot of small business understanding and a whole lot of small business experience and a whole lot of small businesses in your network, and then you've got this emerging blossoming passion that you and I both fucking all in on this whole metaverse welcoming web three. We saw what happened when web two came. We know that web three is coming, whether you like it or not, the earlier you get involved and figure out your place in it, the better off you're going to be in the long run. So what, what, what do you see happening? What, what, what's interesting to you in that small business metaverse kind of crossover and what should businesses be starting to think about in terms of uh, web three and the impact it's going to have? So, I suppose, my, like, it's fringe right now, or it's the early part of the curve. Mm-hmm. And what I've personally learned is it's impossible to learn from the grandstand if you're not on the playing field. Um, so that, for me, means I wanted to learn. I wanted to be involved in Web3. I like the idea of decentralization. I was a bit afraid of it, but I was like, if I don't go and buy some NFTs and buy some coins, I, I, I'm just not going to engage. And so now I've bought them and I'm like, shit, I should have bought more. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, and I should have bought two fluffs and two party bears and two of these because now <laughs> like they're worth so much more. And I'm like, eh, what am I going to do? I, you know, I spoke to Jerome on the weekend. He said, dude, I just sold one of mine for like, I'm like not a fluff. No, 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 he wouldn't sell a fluff but he sold a seeker or something. So, you know, the other thing I've learned is, you know, it's a crazy world. Um, you know, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I'm not on 80 Discord servers. I'm on about, like Patters, I'm on about 8 <laughs> to 10. Um, I'm genuinely excited about the utilisation of technology, uh, the community build i'm in the small business area i'm super interested around our creative entrepreneurs artists musicians and how they can see this world you know in terms of going forward i see opportunity around monetization but i see opportunity for monetization of genuine creative artists and individuals um and that, and not, you know, let's do a rug pull and make a whole lot of money. So, sure. um, and there's also, you know, it's, so I probably get, I don't know, of my newsletters that I get every day, which is 20 to 30 in the morning, you know, half of them are on Web3. 
So I subscribe to Bankless as an example. And um, I reckon I'm pretty stupid about what to do and where to do in Web3. Um, but the more and more I read about it, the more and more I learn about it, the more and more I participate, the more excited I get. But not to the point of fervor where I'm like, I'm all in and crazy about this. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is going to solve all of the capitalist issues that we have in society. You know, and like recently I just went on a walk in the Abel Tasman with seven other mates, right? Four got COVID, but that's another story. Uh, not you me. Seem to be, yet. You, you seem to be the artful dodger, mate. <laughs> but, you know, that they said, uh, uh, what were the rules? Um, uh, no talking about ex-girlfriends, no talking about politics, and Hammy, no talking about NFTs. <laughs> and... You know, which is a dumb it, rule when you're walking the Abel Tasman because you know that's the perfect time to be talking about yeah, this shit, right? Yeah. Like, I would but, imagine of the seven guys you were there, six of them probably would really be worth would have, would have learned something valuable. Mm. Look, it's about the journey, and and it's about continually, I think, engaging with people. I, you know, I've got involved in this because I see the opportunity for actually for our our youth as well around how they get involved in this world. I think it is a new way of working. You know, I, I caught up with a couple of amazing entrepreneurs yesterday from cool people from Russell who are, who are actually really interested in the use of blockchain in a certain specific use case and are going about the process in a real market validation way, you know, they know how to, you know, the one one of the founders knows how to write blockchains, which is really good. That's that because that's a like a massive problem of shortage. But they're going. Let's first validate that there is a real need in this market, and then how we build that over time. So, I just think, you know, it's it interesting. Hmm. It's also scary because we see people who know so much about this who are arguably 10, 20 years ahead. Um, but that shouldn't be a reason for stopping. And, you know, it's like Jenny's just bought Cool Island, right? I, look, I've got, I think I've heard of Cool Island. But I'd be like, how do you know? Uh, the fact that she bought it because she loves uh, the link to carbon and carbon reduction, you know, and you've asked, are NFTs a legitimate investment? Well, FMA have been asking that recently, actually. And FMA are going to be doing, I think, doing some work around that. Look, totally. People are making millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Yeah, some are. Some are not. Um, some are losing. You know, I've, mm. I think I've got about 17 NFTs. Um, but they're not all worth that much. I don't know. Mm. Although I think when I, if I'm a bit short of cash next month, do I just sell them all? Well, here's the thing, you know, to answer my answer to Jenny's question is, are NFTs a legitimate investment? That to me is the same question is, are stocks a legitimate investment? Well, if you buy the right fucking stock, yes. If you buy the yeah. wrong stock, no. How do you know Tesla. if you're buying good stock or bad stock? You do your fucking homework. So, you know, uh, I look at this space, you know, when people ask me and, and, and I'm getting asked more and more because 
I guess I'm, I'm I'm much deeper in it than most are. And even though I, I'm like you, I don't think I don't consider myself to be anywhere near an expert on this. And I'm I'm definitely not uh, touting myself as a as a as a you know advisor in this space. But I'm I'm surrounded by it, so I'm talking about it every day. And my advice to people would be the same as I imagine an, a stock market investor would be: is do your research on the project you're looking at. What is the reason? What is the why? What is that project trying to achieve? So Jenny's talking about Cool Islands, which I'm not familiar with. But it sounds to me like here's a company that's using the opportunity of an NFT to raise funds to then go into a solve a problem that the world needs solved, right? So there's yeah. suddenly a whole lot of value in that project. And so investing in a project like that's probably a, a, a pretty good idea because by buying into it, you're helping fund a project that could eventually become quite a lucrative or quite a profitable business, which is going to in turn increase the value of the NFT you bought. Now, if you saw a, you know, Bored Ape Yacht Club clone, uh, you know, piece of art and bought that and there's nothing else but a piece of art, then that to me doesn't sound like it's going to add a lot of value over time and yeah. has more likelihood of going to zero. So, yeah, and look... When you ask this question, I used to say to people investing in startup companies, you should only be investing 5 to 10% of your at-risk portfolio mm -hmm. that you own in that area. And if you look at NFTs in that context, I, you know, it, it should be 1% to 2% of your at-risk portfolio, unless you have domain expertise where you're prepared to take on more risk. But if I'm a creative artist, a musician, or or a digital artist, which is super interesting. I think digital artists are more so than real world artists have something. There's a really interesting area coming up in that. But, you know, basically what the questions I ask myself is, is Web3, crypto, blockchain an interesting area? Like, are you interested in it? One. Two, can you see a problem in the market that the utilization of this technology could solve. And then it's all about where to play, what to play, how to play. And for me, what I've loved is this world of NFTs, tokens, DAOs, because we our first responsibility at Monarchy is to our community, which is all the hustlers and small businesses and creators and job seekers going, what can we tell them and help them learn about the space for them to apply. That's one. Mm. Two, what should we as a community and as a business monarchy do itself? So if I go back to the first one, you know what we should be doing, Trevor? We should, we should, we should actually create some educational content around how do you go about doing an NFT? Mm -hmm. We should do that together. Are you up for that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, That's good I'm actually, you know, we just talked... We just talked to Brock at lunch. who said that you're keen. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, I'm all in with you guys. I love, I love the whole, you know, I've, I'm a small business owner myself and I've been around small business in a digital kind of support network and ran a little agency. And, I've, you know, I'm very passionate about it because m my mum, you know, sent us to school, put food on the table, you yeah. know, supported our broader family, helped us so much as a result of being a small business owner. So to me, it's very personal. And, um, you know, I'm absolutely keen to get involved with that. And I think putting out some educational content around it is is vital because a lot of these people are probably poised. Like I know a lot of artists 
and, and, and a lot of musicians and they're all saying, well, how the fuck do I do it? You know, what, what is, what is the play? And it feels like it's still very far away for a lot of them, but it's not, it's actually quite accessible. Uh, it, but it's, it, as you rightly pointed out, it's, it's a, it's about building your community and empowering your community to get behind your why. I think that's the yeah. first step and before you start thinking about what does the fucking artwork look like? It's more about, you know, what is the value to my community for doing this and, and where are we it, taking it? Especially because it's one thing to get a successful NFT away, but if you get a successful NFT away and you've got a, you know, a reasonable amount of cash, whether that's 2 million, 20 million or 200 million, You've got a whole lot of holders that are going to be saying, right, so what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so, totally. I, you know, the answer back to Jenny is, you know, what, all I think what NFTs do is they create an opportunity to deliver value to your market and your users. And the, the principles don't change. The method changes, but the principles, if you create something of value that people want and desire over time, then you know, all power to you. And, and I think, but if you don't, you're going to get found out. And that's where, you know, this goes back to, they have to, in my view, I'm not sure the being in business to deliver an NFT is the underlying purpose of that business. That's going to work. I think there has mm-hmm. to be something more to it. Like Absolutely. great musician, great artist, and NFTs are just the vehicle by which you will do that. Look at someone like Gary V, right? I was reading a, a, a I'm, I'm yeah. like you, half, half of my shit that I get fed through my feeds or through my inbox is related to this. And I was reading an article about the top emerging NFT artists and Gary V was listed on there. And I had, after I stopped laughing, I realized that, uh, you know, it's not about the art. Like if you look at V friends, especially yeah. the, the series one or V1, whatever he calls them. I mean, my four-year-old daughter has produced better artwork than yep. Gary fucking B can draw. But those things are worth, I don't know what they are at the moment, but last I looked, they were, you know, pushing the hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy one. Now, you're not buying a hand-drawn sketch yep. of an ant or whatever the fuck he's drawn, right? That's not the yep. value. The value is in the, the the access that it gives you the IP that you have access to, the opportunities that Gary Vee is going to create around that community. And by holding one of those tokens, it's like a, it's like a pass, right? Um, it is, you know, the, I think the other thing that's interesting in this is, you know, um, it's helpful when you're designing these, these models to think about the NFT release as one step on the path. And I was struggled with, oh, for us, do we do an NFT? Do we do a token? Do we do a DAO? And then I kind of realized we're probably going to do all those things. Mm -hmm. And so over time, over the next five, 10 years, we'll do all of those things if they're still around. And we'll have part tokens and we'll have part DAO, and that's fine. But if you think about it from a longevity perspective, you know, because in the old days, if you thought you could get away with it, then you just move towns and no one would know, right? And you just moved to another town. We've moved to Australia. Mm-hmm. And, but now with social media and, and with web and technology, everyone knows. So you mm-hmm. cannot hide from your past. If you want to do one rug pull, you've still got to get yeah. it away and then you've got to go and hide, but people will come and get you. So the better thing to do is go, how will this help you know, our co papa 
around what we want to achieve in, in our, you know, indigenous art or our music. And how will that be one step on the path? And that's what I, you know, get excited. I get very challenged, however, by the lack of supply and resource of things like smart contract people who can, you know, who can do the coding, who can do the graphical representation and who can build community, which goes back to the whole marketing thing as well, right? To, you know, it's it, like to build a really good release and an ongoing community takes a lot of energy. It is. But in this space that we're moving into very, very quickly, I, I feel like, you know, small businesses especially aren't focused on community. You know, most small businesses have hundreds, if not thousands of customers, you know, and, and in a lot of cases you, you do the transaction. Thank you. Have a nice day. But what about keeping that person engaged with your business in some way, shape or form? So they keep, they, you know, and it's not necessarily about them buying again. It's just about you've grabbed that person. They're now part of your community. It's up to you to maintain that. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to start seeing the roles of community managers and community growers becoming far, far more important. And it's especially when we now look at what's the Web3 play. Well, Web3 is all going to be about connecting people. That's the whole premise of the tech is bringing people together around a common goal. So yeah. if you're a business owner and you are the local bakery and you're thinking, well, NFTs and Web3 is, is, is not for me. Well, hang on your role in that community goes beyond just baking fucking bread, right? You're a, you're a part of the ecosystem that keeps that community alive. You help the school, you help the local church or the hospital, the doctor's surgery. You, you're a part of that woven community and your involvement in that is helping keep that town or that, that geographical location thriving. Well, And it's the same so, in the metaverse. So on Monarchy, uh, we've got another member called Dusty who is um, a baker out of uh, Glen Innes in Auckland, right? Mm -hmm. And his business partner is an awesome Frenchman called Stefan, right? And when I heard on the grapevine that Stefan had gone back to open a bakery, I, I, I rocked up there to see him. Big hug. And then we were there every week buying mm -hmm. more bread. As it happens, been away a bit, haven't been back. But, you know, one of the things that I've reminded Stefan is, is that if you texted me on a Saturday morning saying, do you want me to put aside sourdough for you? I'd be there mm -hmm. every single Saturday. I said, you can automate that. You, you can automate that once and then you'll get customers turning up. And then you and he said, well, I'll sell out. I said, I know. And then you can make more mm. because you've already got pre-orders. So then you can make more money. So then you can have more lifestyle. He's like, I bet uh, you if you turned around to, I bet you if you turned around to Stefan and said, okay, Let's take your business now and let's find a, a local community cause in Glen Innes. Let's say the local school needs a bit of support or uh, the local childcare centre needs a new playground for the kids or whatever it is. And if he got involved and said, okay, we're going to do a fundraiser and I'm going to donate, you know, half of all of the, the proceeds for the next two weeks to that particular thing. I mean, this is a common thing that happens in the, in the community. So now you start to, starting to understand why the metaverse is so popular and why NFTs are so popular because that's what they're doing. They're just doing it on a global yeah. scale. They're starting to figure out, yeah. okay, well, you know, like Jenny's uh, project here, we want to try and cool the planet, right? That's, it's a big problem that we want to tackle. Who's in? And 
maybe they released 10,000 NFTs and 10,000 people said, well, we're fucking in. I want to see the planet cooled as well. Here, have 500 bucks of my money. Good luck to you. And if that project keeps those people engaged and keeps growing it and actually shows some signs that they are cooling the planet and they're doing positive things, well, the value in that business is going up and up and up. So to me, it's, it's almost a new way of raising money towards a goal that's not just about your business. It's not just about what you do on a day-to-day. And I think that's where uh, my mind is at the moment. And, you know, we talk about creating educational content. That, that's where I go with this is yeah. start thinking about if you had – you know, I'm, I'm watching these projects, dude. These guys are making five million bucks in an hour. And it's not because their artwork is Not amazing. all of them, though. No, what percentage? Not. What percentage? Very low percentage of them sell out. Uh, but the ones that get the community and the why right. So this is where yeah. I think Brooke and, and, and the Non-Fungible Labs community have, have got it right. They started with the law. They talk about we started with the law. So they started with the why, the backstory, the reason why they're going about what they're doing. You know, it's not about we're building towards yeah. a goal. We're starting with the goal in mind and we're, and we're selling that goal from the get-go. And anybody who's behind us on that goal is going to become part of the community. And then we're going to deliver to that. We've got a responsibility now to deliver to that. And I think uh, for me, if I was just starting out in this space, that's where I'd be going is what are the things that I care about? And, it, it, and, and, and do you know, here's a, here's, here's a super interesting thing. So, um, again, Jenny, Jenny and her daughter, and her daughter's got this incredible business and movement around um, the youth and the future of New Zealand from Aotearangatahi, I see an incredible binding opportunity through the use of Web3, things like NFTs and tokens, where, you, you know, you can enable or, or incent active contribution from Rangatahi funded by other people like corporates and philanthropists you know, through the issue of tokens that binds communities together. I think that's the thing that we've seen is what Web does and what Web3 does is it enables communities to come together for a cause, which is extraordinary mm-hmm. at a speed that I have... Like these Discord servers are crazy, crazy. Mental, mental, mental. mental. And and the reason the numbers are so big and the scale of it's so big so fast is because Web3 truly breaks down the geographical borders of everything, right? You know, even Web2 was yes. still, you know, Web2. Yes, but I, I just want to qualify this. I, I, I still think the fundamentals of business around building community and sustaining community retain because what you see in a lot of the Discord servers is, is that they get crazy up till mint. The mint happens when they release the NFTs you get the people who, who stake them and get out, and then the discard servers, uh, Discord servers are just empty because no one's around. And so I think if you really want to build something genuine and valuable, then you just need to be mindful that you need to keep investing. So when you do a mint and you get two million bucks, you ain't taking that out. You're taking that two million bucks and you're investing back in your community. That is where collections of digital artists musical artists coming together over time to benefit from this is something that's super interesting. Not just one artist, but multiple artists coming together. That's that's kind of cool. I'm, and businesses I'm and things that. that, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, empowering, if I was a local bakery, again, coming back to our example that seems to have permeated this podcast, but if I was a local small business, you know, you could look at, okay, we've, 
in my community, there's there's probably a dozen people that fit that profile that can deliver some sort of creative vehicle that we can use to leverage towards a bigger purpose. And I'm and you know here's a crazy purpose. thing. What I love, why I love doing these, and I need to do more of them, is, is the Sarah and Chris that I was talking to this week. I've just come up with a way, and they're doing a blockchain-based uh, startup in the sustainability space. And I've just worked out a way that they can issue a token to their early contributors to support the overriding ambition, which is to make the world a better place Mm -hmm. and issue a token that will, um, that will enable contribution and benefit. It's freaking amazing. Just got to find a smart contractor, smart contract coder to do that. Do you know any of those? <laughs> I might have one or two. You know, in the Can network. you retrain? How long does it take to train as a smart contract? Look, Girl. I, I think uh, I, I don't know enough about the technology and, and the ins and outs. But what I do see happening is that the tech itself is starting to replace the need for people to code. So I think we're rapidly moving towards a place where anyone and everybody will be able to to create. There'll be platforms that you'll use to create smart contracts in the same way that OpenSea is a marketplace, but it's also a way to create an NFT. You can create an NFT on OpenSea in three minutes. You know, It's not a hard thing to do. The hard thing to do is to build the community, the things, understand, yeah. yeah, why we exist, get buy-in from a whole bunch of people, build the project up to the point where you know you've got enough people to sell out and raise that revenue initially, which is an exciting time to be alive and in business. And all of these people that we sort of started the conversation that may have had a difficult couple of years are now faced with an entirely new opportunity that is absolutely Batshit crazy is the only way I could describe it. Brooke put a slide up in Prezzo we were looking at this morning. And in 2020, the uh, NFT uh, economy was worth $9 billion. And in January, January this year, it did $21 billion in a month. That's yeah, how fast this is, this is growing. So, so we've committed by the end of May... We're going to have our uh, NFT course. Um, I'm not going to say ready to go, but it'll be in the pipe, and then we're mm-hmm. going to release it in June. Is that cool? You up for that? I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be. I think there's so much need for it right now. Like everybody's doing the same thing. They're jumping on YouTube. They're listening to Gary V tell everybody how they need to do it. I mean, the information's there. If you're really, really determined to go and figure it out, you'll do your. 50, 100 hours, whatever it takes to kind of skill yourself yeah. up and get, get yourself ready to do it. But I think uh, where the big gap is, is for these people who don't have the 50 hours easily available and they need some way of doing it in, in a fast track way, like the Digital Doers Academy. You've already done that. You fast track people to go from, I have absolutely no fucking idea what I'm doing in the digital space to now I'm a averagely skilled digital generalist in a few weeks. So, you know, I think there's a, a huge need. We've got for that first sale. Who are, Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Glenn's in for anything, you know. He's a, he's a, you know, he's <laughs> he'll put is his he hand an Aussie? Up. <laughs> is, he, is he an Aussie? Is he an Australian? No, uh, I, I can't comment on that. <laughs> I go walking uh, with him, um, but he's been he's been you know relaxing at Bland Bay on Waiheke for most of uh, Christmas that uh, I haven't been able to go walking with him. So I'm looking forward to doing that. 
Yeah, I followed his TikToks for a while. Very, very nice way to start the day, having Glenn smiling and, you know, these beautiful views that were behind him and him telling, you know, encouraging everybody to have a wonderful day. It was like when I wake up every day. And then he was lying on the ground, wasn't he? And oh, stuff like that. Hey, so this has been fun, but it's, it's getting to an hour, isn't it? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're we probably coming up on... We're probably coming up on time. Uh, look, I, I think we could go into this and, and maybe there'll be another podcast down the track when we start getting closer towards building out some educational content. Um, I know that, uh, that there's a lot of interest in it and there's definitely um, opportunities for people. But before we sign off, mate, how can people get involved with uh, the Monarchy Project? How can people reach out to you if they want to know more about what's going on there? So pretty simple, right? So monarchy.io, it's a platform for small business owners and, and skill seekers. And you just basically come on, you sign up, join as a member, introduce yourself. Um, I follow, so there's 6,000 members on the site. I follow every single new member. So you'll be connected to me by the time you wake up after you've put your membership in. And there's a chat function on that. There's a whole lot of subgroups. We're basically just into helping people find their opportunities, make one step going forward. There's a bunch of amazing mentors. It's sort of crazy on the site right now because we've sort of been learning in the, in the last year around how to build community, but there's some amazing groups. Just get involved, DM me. We also have a thing called Korero with Monarchy, which is sponsored by Two Degrees, where you can book 15-minute, 30-minute one-on-one um, uh, -on -one sessions with me, and there's about 25 other, uh, including you. Yep, in, I'm including in you. And so just do that. Just engage. And mm -hmm. my biggest encouragement to people is to have the courage to introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, who's your family, you know, what's your business, what's your aspiration. That creates the opportunity for the community to engage. Mm. We are built at Monarchy on a, on a foundation of reciprocity. Let's yep. help each other. And I can absolutely attest to that. I think if, if you've made it this far into the podcast, thank you. Um, I appreciate your attention and maybe subscribe. Uh, but if there's one thing, if you're a small business owner and you're listening to this, if there's only one thing you take out of it is jump on Monarchy, if, especially if you're based in New Zealand, uh, you'll find a very welcoming and very supportive community and people probably asking and answering the same sorts of questions that are going on in your head right now. So it's an enormously valuable resource. And, it costs and, and by the way, it doesn't cost you anything, although we, one day we have to make money. So, um, <laughs> uh, But we've got members in Australia, uh, PNG, which is where we, we are going to be opening up Monarchy later this year with our amazing people at Shopify, uh, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. Like we, there is no restriction on membership. If you want to join mm -hmm. and you've got the right attitude, just come in. Absolutely. Um, awesome, mate. Look, thank you so much for giving up some of your time today, Hammy. It's all good. I, uh, Love it. I really enjoyed it. I could go, we could go on for hours and hours and probably bore the shit out of everyone as we geek into our, uh, into our own Web3 uh, rabbit hole. Um, and maybe we'll do that another time. Uh, in the meantime, you take care of yourself, mate. And uh, Can I just ask? Sure. What's your favourite NFT? What am I hot on now? What's the project no, I'm most... Not the one that you favorite. just the one that, that The one that you will not sell. Mm. Uh, my ASM brain, I will never sell. And they are very yeah. low right now. They're at 1.98 and they are a... They are a fucking blue chip NFT. I will never sell them. As soon as I can, I'll buy more. If I had money in my account right now, I'd be buying more of them. Um, you so know what I've been thinking about ASM. with the ASM? Mm -hmm. I, I've, 
I was thinking, could I train my ASM to be a business advisor on Manaki? I'm not sure you possible? can train. I'm not sure. You, I don't know how far the protocol will go, but what you will be able to do is train your AI to, to perform digital tasks. So we talked a little bit about automating shit, right? Like you can use tech platforms yeah. to automate things, right? Like email responses and stuff like that. But yeah. AI will learn from, it's a two-way communication. Yeah. It'll be able to learn and respond. So the most exciting thing in my NFT wallet is by far my ASM brain because I own an AI. I own an AI that I will eventually be able to train to do things for me and it'll almost be like my own digital employee. The use case that they're going, for those of you who aren't familiar with the ASM project, the use case that they are showcasing the protocol on is a football game. So they've Aper got this stars. Aper Aper stars. So, yeah, so you, you'll be able to train your little uh, AFA characters to uh, do set routines, football, like, like set plays. And then you teach your little uh, players these set plays and then you throw them on the field against somebody else who's taught their players set plays and the two teams play, which is pretty cool uh, in its own right. But what it's showcasing is the ability for people to actually own and train their own AI. Now, if you think about that from a, from a perspective of utility, it's fucking massive. Like being able to, I'm not just buying a piece of art. I'm buying an artificial intelligence that I get to do whatever I want with it. So that is fucking cool, and that's a no-brainer in my mind. Uh, so if someone offered you like three ETH for it right now, no, you wouldn't take No, wouldn't take 10 ETH for you sure? it. sure? I'd probably take really? 10, and then I'd take that 10 ETH and buy five more. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yeah, if somebody offered me three ETH for it. Find someone in to sell them. Find someone yeah. in Remuera or Hearn Bay to um, – no, that's yeah. not rude. If, if Glenn, if See, Glenn Marvin wants to give me uh, three ETH for mine, I'll take it. Yeah. Good on you, Hammy. I Talk to you soon, I buddy. don't know whether he's got that much money. See you, buddy. Take it easy. All right. Cheers. See Thanks, ya. everyone. Bye. Bye.